Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, Money Clinic listeners. It's Claire here. And on this week's episode, we ask the question that's on everybody's lips. How to ask for a pay rise? I assembled a top team to answer listeners' questions at the FT Weekend Festival earlier this month, and thanks to everybody who sent one in. If you weren't able to be there, then don't worry, because thanks to the FT's Financial Literacy and Inclusion campaign, Flick for short, you can sit back and listen to what our experts had to say. Good luck. If you are here um, in the money tent today, welcome. We're going to assume that everybody in here would quite like a pay rise. Am I right? Yay! Fantastic. (laughs) Well, the problem is, of course, at the moment, everybody does, but not everybody knows how to ask. And that's what the panel, me, Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor, Jonathan Black, who you may know better as dear Jonathan, certainly he's very dear to us, he's our (laughs) careers columnist and also the head of the career service at the University of Oxford, so he knows a thing or two. And last but not least, Isabel Berwick, my wonderful colleague at the FT, who is behind our fabulously successful Working It newsletter and podcast, which will give you a daily uh, dose on the newsletter of everything that's going on. um, in in the workplace and a fantastic podcast to boot. So we've had lots of questions already from FT podcast listeners. We talk to you all on Instagram um, and on LinkedIn. Isabel is very hot on LinkedIn and so is Jonathan. So we're really impressed um, with the the quality and depth of of problems that you've brought to our door, but we thought we'll start off um, with some quick fixes. Now, We've called this Never Mind the Bank of England, this session, because we like to be a little bit controversial um, as journalists, after both the governor and the chief um, economist um, at the central bank have said in separate interviews that we shouldn't be asking for pay rises, except that you're going to be poorer, um, in the words of, of, of Hugh Pill in a very controversial interview he did a few months ago. Now, that's easy to say, of course, if you're on a six-figure salary, but for the rest of us, Jonathan realistically, do you think that anybody is not going to ask for a pay rise because of what the Bank of England think? Uh, Well, realistically, no. It reminded me of the people who leave £10 in their will to pay off the national debt, (laughs) the the people who are very altruistic. And even if they did get a pay rise, they can assuage their own conscience by saying, I'll be paying more taxes anyway, so the Treasury will be happy. Okay, and Isabel, I mean, from where you sit, you're contacted by lots of readers um, who are presumably wanting a pay rise more than ever at the moment. Do you think the Bank of England's stance is going to affect them? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. And in terms of the 
people who are contacting you saying that pay is, is a big issue for them at the moment, obviously cost of living pressures, mortgages becoming more expensive, childcare, perennial issue for, for, for working parents. Let me get some top tips, some do's and don'ts, if you like, from, from, from each of you to, to really start the session off before we get into the questions that people have sent in and also the questions that I'm sure you are wanting to ask because we're going to have time for those as well. So, Isabel, tell us a few do's and don'ts and then we'll go on to Jonathan. Ooh, OK, I'm going to start with our favourite, Claire, Fobsag. 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 Tell everybody what that means. FOBSAG stands for fear of being seen as greedy, which is the biggest barrier to asking for a lot of people. I'm going to say women. I don't mean to exclude men, but it is more commonly women. You don't want to look a bit grasping. You don't want to think someone feels badly of you. That is not the case. You know, your employer is not your family. It's okay to ask for a pay rise. And FOBSAG is what you have to keep in your head. Okay, so avoid FOBSAG. Jonathan, what would you like to throw in? Uh, there's always money. You've got to assume the organisation always has money. Because so it's still going. Yeah. yeah. Don't think, uh, well, I can't ask because that'll take money out of somewhere else. Um, if you want to don't, it's people who say, I've just got a new qualification, uh, therefore you need to pay me more. Okay. And a don't from you, Isabel? Uh, I need, I deserve... Those are red flags for bosses. They won't listen to anything else you say. Okay. What, what is it about I deserve that um, is particularly toxic? It's very triggering because <laughs> everyone deserves. Yeah. And if you're the manager listening to that, <clears throat> you're going to be thinking, well, I deserve too. So why the hell should I be? So it's, it's a sort of, it, it creates a negative vibe from the outset. You need to frame your request in a way that is going to get your manager on side. Even if they're not the person who can okay your pay rise, mm. you need them on side so they can ask the person higher up the chain. Because you can be absolutely sure you're going to drop off if, they've, if you, to use a phrase, piss them off. Right. Your opening statement. <laughs> Fantastic. Some technical terms um, there. Fantastic. I think we've had the word piss off um, on, on the Money Clear podcast before, so I'm sure Manuela, our editor who's in the audience, oh, she's smiling. That's, that's, always, that's always good news. So our first two questions that people yeah. have sent in are on the theme of finding your worth. So how can I determine, writes this um, female reader, how can I determine what the market rate of pay is when there is so little transparency among my peers? And another woman um, who emailed in, and she said, I strongly suspect that the man doing the equivalent role in my firm is being paid more than I am, even though we have the same levels of experience and success. What can I realistically do about this? Well, let, let's start off with the more general question first um, about, about market rate. Jonathan, if you're trying to go in and work out whether you're being overpaid or underpaid, how would you go about it? First stop, job ads. Okay. So whether on LinkedIn or in the trade journals that are relevant, the trade websites relevant to your industry, find out roughly what people are being paid or being offered. Often they don't have a figure on, I find, with the actual job adverts, or they could have a range. Well, a range is helpful because you're going to go in with a range anyway and say, I'd like between X and Y, I was really looking more towards the top of that range. But I think that's, that's an external view. Glassdoor, places like, websites like that, that will tell you what people are earning. Inside the organisation, it's quite hard. I mean, in the public sector, such as, well, I'm in the quasi-public sector in the university, it's very transparent. This is a grade eight job, that's a grade six job. You can mm. look it up on the website, that's what grade six gets paid between X and Y. Mm. So that bit's straightforward. But in the private sector, it's, it is more difficult and people won't tell you. 
Isabel, finding your worth, this is something you've written a lot about in, in, in the FT. What advice would you give to the audience? I sort of think there's a lot more sharing of salaries now. And actually, that's something to, I'm always telling people what I am. I'm not going to say it now, but you can come and ask me later. <laughs> and, um, and I've helped colleagues get pay rises. And I think who's benefiting from the secrecy? The bosses. So uh, I know there's a lot of spreadsheet sharing that's going on among younger workers in industries. You might be able to get in on some of that. But actually, if you, if you have co-workers that you get on with and you can ask, there is nothing better because you might find a massive discrepancy. I've heard from readers who have been paid tens of thousands next to the person they're sitting next to. And that is extraordinary. Mm. I mean, and part of it, Jonathan, is yeah. due to the fact that when you were recruited, of course, because the labour market's very tight at the moment, so if you want to entice somebody to leave another firm, come and join your firm, you might have to pay them more because the market rate at the moment, especially for certain jobs, yeah. um, certain sectors, you know, the market's very tight. But in other times, times of recession, if you're taken on them, then you're the kind of people sitting on the chairs in the tent you probably really should be asking for a raise because you would have started up a lower base. Well, and we had a Dear Jonathan question a few weeks ago of someone saying, I'm on this salary, and they've just recruited somebody with less experience, less qualifications, this, this, and they're getting paid more. Mm. Now what? And what was your response to uh, that? Well, that you, you don't have perfect information. Mm. You don't know what... You clearly didn't know what the bosses were looking for when they were recruiting. They might have been looking for so-called softer skills or softer experience. Or It's not just about the things you can see. Mm. Um, you, know, you know that you have asymmetric information. You know everything about yourself, a bit about the other people, and probably not much about the recruiters. Now, to go on to our, our second question about finding your worth, this is the, the, the woman, yeah, it makes me angry too, <laughs> who suspects that a man in her workplace doing the equivalent role is being paid more, even though they have the same level of experience and, and success. Now, I mean, realistically, if you are in that position, it may not be a, a gender thing, it may be that you're a man looking at another man in your organisation. What would you suggest? It may be, but I think there is... Some organisations, let's be clear, do have the ugly effect of sexism, ageism, misogyny, and so on, and you have to... Um, and you're probably not going to be able to change that from your position no. in the organisation. Um, you can bring it out with the sort of things Isabel was saying about, actually, let's just be transparent about, about what people are, are earning. OK. Isabel, anything to, to, to add on, on, on that one to the person yeah, you Yeah, you can ask to be benchmarked... Um, Mm -hmm. I, you're going to ask me what law it is, I can't remember, but under the law, you can ask to be benchmarked. If you're a woman, you can ask to be benchmarked against a man doing the same job as you or what you perceive to be the same job as you. And in most organisations, you can ask for a benchmark, which will give you a range. So ask HR or whoever the relevant person is for a benchmark. And then in larger organisations, of course, where they do have to report staff salaries as part of the yes. gender pay gap, I mean, yes, it's an average figure. But Jonathan, do you think that that is having any beneficial effects when it comes to women? We've got lots of women in the tent today who are asking for a pay rise. Could it give an extra incentive to the bosses to yeah. think, well, if we do give them some extra cash, then it will help to make our external statistics look a bit better? Yes, I think it has brought it out a bit. Uh, or expose the issues a bit. You really would like to find a senior member of management, maybe a woman, maybe a man, who's going to pick this up as a champion and, and, and champion that and get it on the agenda each time. 
say, well, are we paying them the same? And, and have, get the discussion at least started. Mm, because ultimately, if people are going to leave your organisation because uh, they think they're being treated unfairly, yeah. then it's, it's, bad, it's bad for the company. OK, well, we're going to get emotional next. We love to get emotional in the money tent. So so many undercurrents of, of, of emotion that are woven into our relationship with money and no more so than it comes to asking for a pay rise. Now, what we're paid isn't the only reflection, of course, of how we're valued, but it's a really important part mm-hmm. of the equation. And our next question, which also comes from a woman, don't worry, we do have some from men. Um, it's just the ones from, from women were, were the ones we wanted to start off with. She says, I love my job. How do I ask for a raise without my boss thinking that I want to leave the company or that I'm unhappy? Who wants to go first on tackling that one? Oh, well, I think this is a psychological thing. You know, we bring our family relationships to work. I think this person's in a relationship where they're looking at their boss as their parent. My dad is actually at the back of the room there. Oh! So I brought the family right into the tent. But the... You did a good job, Isabel's dad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, take a step back. This isn't... Again, this is not your family. It is a workplace. You know, get a new boss. I mean, honestly. <laughs> mm, okay. Um, Jonathan... Um, what... Yeah, it reminds me of... Uh application letters that students write which are really strong all the way through to the final sentence which always becomes very needy i right. do hope you can read my thing and i do hope we can meet and i can talk about you are not needy to your point this is an adult adult relationship yeah. not a parent child relationship um, asking for more pocket money mm. um, and and this also feeds into aspects of you know how we approach promotion because of course one of the best ways to, to get a pay rise is to go for, go for promotion within your company. It's an absolute, you know, must that if you're being moved up the ranks, then, you know, you need to have a conversation about the cash. But Isabel, you did an article in the FT recently where you were talking about people who pick up uh, the kind of jobs in the office that are not really going to wow. get you anywhere in terms oh, the of NPTs. Of yeah, tell us about I'm NPTs. Full of acronyms today. So NPTs are non-promotable tasks. It's also known as office housework. <laughs> it is predominantly done by women. It is things like the leaving collection, the birthday card, <laughs> the cake. Some of this may be familiar to some of you. We do a lot of it at the FT. And <laughs> the minute-taking. The minute-taking in meetings. If you are perceived as someone who is, does the NPTs for the team, you are not someone who's perceived as going places or, you know, it's about internal perception of your role. So get someone else to get the birthday card next time. You know, shift yourself into a role where you are seen as someone who is dynamic and, you know, ready for promotion. So say, I'll donate, but I can't organise. <laughs> I like it. Now... With your role, Jonathan. It's almost, would you ask a man to do that? <laughs> well, yes, would you ask a man to do that? With, with your role, you're yes. helping students at Oxford, you know, get their first job, you know, crucially mm-hmm. find out what their internal career compass is telling them to do. And for lots of people, entering on a graduate traineeship or even an intern programme, the FT runs lots of intern programmes, if anyone in the audience is interested. Crucially, they're all paid, which is a really great thing. But... If you have come into an organisation as a trainee yes. and then you stay and build your career there, that can act against you in the same kind of ways that Isabel was talking about. Yeah, this is the challenge. You come in at any level and you're perceived as that level, even though you are better skilled, better qualified. And you might have taken a step down to get into an organisation you like or that you want to work for. But then 
the non-progressive bosses don't see you like that. They see you as always that person down here. Mm. Internitis. Challenge. You could. Oh, all right. Internitis. You could call it. There yes. you go. I've given you an idea for an article. This is the great thing about the FT Weekend Festival. So. We're going to move on now mm -hmm. to our fourth question, which is all about whether you should move company to boost pay. Now, this can be one of the easiest ways to get a pay rise, but our questioner mm. says, this was a man, by the way, can I get paid more than the going rate if I move to another company but do the same job? Now, a similar question might be, could I extract more money from my company if I go through the job interview process and, and offered something else, um, which is mm. something that, that, that people often do. But this particular person, he wants more than the going rate, doing the same job at another company. What, what, would, you, what would you say about that? I'll start with you. I mean, by the time you're going down the route of being offered a, a job at another company, you're kind of on the way out mentally anyway. And so it's kind of too late for the employer at that stage, isn't it? To, to pull you back in. I mean, there is that argument. You can walk in with... The best way to get a pay rise is walk in with a job offer from somewhere else. But by then, I think, to your psychology, you've left, and that's too late. Can you, can you say, well, they get paid more over there? I mean, that's back to benchmarking, if I've understood mm. the question mm. right. And in terms of people who think that they could maybe have an easier life at another company and get paid more because of the hot jobs market... At the moment, somebody's seriously thinking about leaving a company, like our previous questioner, she really likes her job, but she wants to be paid more. What kind of things would you be saying to them, Isabel, if they were in the FT office having a, having a slice of cake and tea in the canteen, as I am very privileged to do on occasion? So I think it's very hard to get an idea of company culture externally, but you can sometimes get a whiff of it. You can see if there have been any... Uh, big court cases, you can have a look on LinkedIn, you can have a look on Glassdoor, you can see if a friend of a friend works there, because mm. it's actually not all about money. The mm. culture of a company is vital, and it doesn't matter, you know, if you're paid 20 grand more in your new job, but you are so miserable, you can't, you know... You're, you're spending always, it all on therapy. You're spending <laughs> it all on therapy. Is, is that again? So I think, mm. you know, corporate culture is often very overlooked in these discussions about pay, mm. and I would really urge people to think about it very deeply. Yeah, okay. Well, I've been asking uh, people on Instagram. I'm, I'm at Claire B on Instagram. Isabel's at Isabel Berwick. You're not on Instagram, but you are on LinkedIn, Jonathan Black, if you, if you want to follow us. We did put it on LinkedIn too. But we asked people to vote um, on Instagram yesterday on a question. We did a little poll. What matters to you most in your career? Having a high degree of purpose and job satisfaction or having a high level of salary? Now, I'm going to tell you in a minute how people on Instagram voted, but would you like to um, do a little show of hands for us, audience? I know you can't see it on the podcast, but I'll, I'll describe it. So put your hand up if having a high degree of purpose and job satisfaction is more important to you than cold, hard cash. Okay, that is probably about half of the room. Okay, oh, and yeah, then... Sorry, we too. <laughs> okay, we may have led the audience there because the three of us have, have put our hands up. And then hands up now who says it's all about the money, money, money. Okay, oh. right. So there's oh. not, not very many hands going up for that. I would have expected more. I would have, I would have expected more because you know what? <laughs> With our Instagram poll, we had about 800 people vote yesterday. Thank you if you're here and you did oh, that. No. Um, 51% of people on Instagram said 
It's all about the money, money, yeah. money. But I had some very interesting extra messages from people who follow us saying, actually, there's a third factor um, at play here. And that third factor is flexibility, ah. which speaks well that to the theme point. of your um, working at podcast this week. You know, flexibility is becoming one of the big benefits um, when you're looking at changing employer. Yeah. What do they offer? I mean, a, a hybrid work schedule is now worth about an 8% pay rise. I think, in the latest hmm. stats. You know, that's if you're not paying to commute into the office every day, you're saving money. And a general air of flexibility around a corporate culture is extremely attractive to people. And hmm. it is worth more than money, I think. And, and going forward, I think that's going to become an even stronger factor. And I have heard of companies where they're going sliding into people's LinkedIn DMs and saying, I see you work for X financial services. We've got a much more flexible situation over here. Because companies yeah. get known for being inflexible. They're known for being inflexible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, really interesting. I mean, Jonathan, yeah. again, kind of people who you're dealing with every day, students, mm. you know, obviously you've got lots of worries about, you know, paying back their loans. They want to get the best possible graduate job that they can when they finish university. Now, when I was graduating, obviously I wanted to be a journalist, but I didn't ever think that I'd get to be a journalist. And it's just such a fantastic thing that I have done. But I certainly didn't go into it for the money. But I do remember looking at the graduate scheme for Accenture, as it was at the time. And I think the pay for that was like something like £30,000, which in the you know, yeah. 2000s was a lot of cash. I mean, how important is it, pay and purpose, to, to your so, Gen Zs who are coming through? So we survey the students every year, asking them to put these or 10 functions about a job into the, a priority order. At the height of the pandemic, so about this time 2020 or May, well, intellectual challenge was number one, work-life balance, but then number three was meaning and purpose, a job with purpose and meaningful. Now, we did it again this year, and that has dropped away, and pay has become number three. Wow. So As um, rents rise, no doubt. Yeah, or, or we're all sort of back to normal. We had a panel discussion with employers, and we had our lovely unguarded student comments uh, who say... Yeah, I really wanted a job with purpose, but then I got an offer from Investment Bank. And, right. and I took that. Okay. So he said, yeah, so you've got principle, but when the check arrives, you'll yeah. go with that. You then get the view of, I'll do this for a few years. That's pretty rational. Pay off, the, buy a flat, whatever, and then I'll change. Hmm. And that opens up a whole other set of discussions about... Life isn't really like that. No, well, lifestyle creep, I would say, which is something we've, we've made a money podcast um, about before. Well, okay, let's move on to the next questions. I want to get your questions um, soon from the audience, get as many of those in as possible. So be thinking about those. What happens if the boss says no? Now, this is another really big barrier to people asking um, for a raise. This person says, I've been turned down for a pay rise recently. How long do I have to leave it before I ask for one again? Who wants to come in first? Well, I think this is the wrong question. The question is, what do I have to do to be eligible for the raise? So right. you go back to the boss and say, okay, I understand that, because after all, no means not now. That's what no means. It doesn't necessarily mean no, never. Um, so I would be turning to them and asking for their advice, their support. What extra skills do I need? I'm obviously eager to get a pay rise or to progress to the next level. What skills do I need? What training can you offer? What projects could I take on? Um, can I have your support? Can I have a secondment? So it's going to be a two-step process. So if you get the no, it can be, you know, they don't want to upset you, they don't want you to leave, 
but you can be prepared to ask for, for yeah. other stuff. I mean, an ideal boss would actually say, no, I can't do the money because you're at the top of the grade or whatever it is, but I could do this. Or you could quickly turn it into that. Say, well, could I have... You know, it's like when you're negotiating pay anyway. Um, okay, you can't pay more than X, but could I have five days of uh, funded training? Or could I have... Mm. You know, would you pay for my this? Yeah, or could I work from home on, on, on <laughs> a Friday? Remotely. What, what would you add to, to that, Isabel? As people who've been told no, um, you can't I'd say don't internalise the no, because that's a really common thing. You know, you feel rejected. You know, it goes right to the heart of what you feel you're worth as a person. And um, that's a hard thing to manage and it might mm. knock you back. So don't internalise it. Bounce back, regroup, do whatever it takes. But I, I, I think the no itself is often the biggest thing. And actually, if you keep asking, if you're an irritant, I mean, we all know, you know people who call you the most or email you the most, you, you notice them, don't you? So if you're willing to be an irritant, that can be an, an effective tactic too. Can be. It could be, but it could, I suppose it could, it could also <laughs> fire. Could also get the label yes. of being a pay pest, um, which I've, I've, I've yes, heard before. Get creative and try other routes. If, yeah. if that road is closed, go around another road or yes. some other things. Okay. Right, we're going to come to your questions in a minute, but before we do that, I want to um, ask you about the public sector, because we've had about four or five different questions that are all quite similar from people who work in the public sector, where, of course... The advantage, other than the final salary pension that you might have, as we were talking about one session ago, is the fact that you have these pay grades, mm -hmm. lots of transparency. Um, but the disadvantage is that you have these pay grades. So unlike in the private sector where you could maybe, um, yeah. you know, make an exception, um, the, the questions that people are saying are, what advice would you give to public sector workers where pay bans are strict and inflexible and any tips on negotiating a raise within these pay scales? How can I avoid being put at the bottom of a pay band with each promotion? That's a very specific thing. But in general, Jonathan, talk to us about this, this issue of being on a pay scale, because it is really a double-edged sword. It, it, it is. I mean, it does give great transparency. Everybody knows what everyone's paid, and it sort of takes away all those issues. Um, this comes back to a general theme, which is it's not totally about you. It's about what you can do for the employer and what value you're bringing them. So you might say... What if I took on running this bit for another department? What if I, you know, added more skills and, and took on more responsibility for you or saved you money or the employer money? I think it's finding what do they want that would then help them reward you to give them the justification. Mm. And Isabel, I mean, having pay bans, you know, it's often a case where a public sector employer might expect you to spend several years in one band before progressing to the next one. You can't jump from, say, a six to an eight. You've got to go through the, the stages. And mm. it can be quite hard to negotiate um, promotions and pay rises if others are on different, different kind of levels in the strata of the company, if you, if you like, than, mm. than you are. I mean, it's very like that at the, at the BBC. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you... I mean, I've heard cases where relatively young people have moved up several pay bands quite quickly, particularly in the civil service, um, if you enter as a grad trainee. But I think sometimes, you know, if you're in a pay band situation, you're at the top of the pay band, you're not going to get anything except incremental rises. I think that's one, there, there really yep. is a ceiling there, and you may have to move. There, there isn't room for manoeuvre there, Jonathan, is there? There, there isn't much. Um, and you did just say it, it's the job that's graded, not the person. That's a very good point. So, you know, yes, you may have these extra qualifications, but this is the job we want done. It's grade five. 
you know, if you want more, I'm afraid, and we'll help you, you have to find another role. Mm, and, and that may be moving into the private sector. Well, um, yeah. Of course, uh, I mean, I know some very dear friends who, because of the cost of living pressures um, and exactly what we've been talking about, this inflexibility of pay bans, that has been the mm -hmm. thing that's prompted them to say, you know what, I'm going to cash in my chips and I'm going to go to the private sector yeah. because I've got a mortgage to pay. <clears throat> and it's a very yeah. unfortunate fact of life. Or... You could see it's quite positive that there is this flow between private and public sector these days, or between academia and industry, or between private and uh, state schools. There is, it's a much more fluid boundary. Okay, well, some great answers from the panel to the questions that people have sent in, but now it's your chance in the FT Money Tent to put your questions to our pay rise experts. We've got some people on hand um, with some microphones. Do we have anybody who's brave enough <laughs> to ask our first question? Fortunately, not just one person was brave enough, but two. First up, how do you deal with your boss telling you you're not experienced enough for a rise? And the second question raised a very practical point. How do you start a conversation about pay? What's the icebreaker? While Isabel thought about that one, we asked Jonathan for his tips on how to overcome the barrier of lack of experience. OK, let's be practical. Can you transfer any of your experiences outside the workplace? So you've done charity work, you've done stuff at school, you've done stuff with your family, with local charity volunteering or something. Is there anything that you can bring across and say, yeah, I haven't managed this, but I managed to put on a, I, I organised a, a half marathon or something, that you could, you could translate from one to the other. That particularly applies. I've seen that when we've recruited women generally returning to the workplace after, say, 15 years of bringing up four children and up, doing up three houses. Yeah, of course, the there's, there's no skills involved None in at all. any of that. None at no. all. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so you, you have to... I mean, you're going to need an employer that's going to take a leap of faith. Employers are generally terribly risk-averse, and they want to see, have you done this exact job at this level at a well-known name? Then I'll take you. Now, not many people mm. fit into that. You want others where employers will say, we're going to take a punt on this, and, and that'll be about right. I've, I found the, the biggest thing with experience is experiencing of managing people and managing budgets. Um, they seem to be the, the two crucial things, or certainly to me in, in, in my career. And I, I was quite lucky uh, because I was managing people from quite an early age, uh, and I really liked it and enjoyed it. So I've always wanted to, to, to manage people. But, I mean, Isabel, lots, lots of people may have trouble, you know, making, making that breakthrough, you know, being a boss to others and convincing people that they could be, particularly if they are quite young, like our, like our questioner. But what, what, what advice would, would you give to him? So on the lack of experience question, I'd probably say that in the, if you're in a big organisation or, or in a fast-growing one, there might be an opportunity to be on a project or to get, or perhaps you join an employee network. Mm -hmm. You know, you get yourself noticed. I mean, people notice the people who are in front of them. That's the sad truth. You know, you can make that an advantage. I would call it horizontal networking. Yeah. So, you know, get to know people in different departments. Who impress you and you think, I want to be exactly, like them. Exactly. You know, word of mouth is very potent internally in companies. Okay. All right. And then to come back to your question, which is, how can you break the ice? How can you ask for, for a pay rise? I mean, I would say my, my own personal date would be, don't send an email saying, please, can we have a talk about a pay rise? Because then the <laughs> boss can be prepared with all of the reasons for no before you do it. If you say, please, could we have a talk? If I got an email like that, I would think, shit, they've been offered a job by, by, by somewhere else. But 
Jonathan, what are your suggestions for the, for the icebreaker? And then we'll hear Isabel's. Um, I'd be going in talking about the extra things you could be doing or the extra, uh, or, or you've already taken on over the last three to six months, the extra the incrementals you've taken mm. on. Um, but it's, it's, again, desperately avoiding being needy or I deserve or any of that, because it's not attractive to the other side. And Isabel? Yes, present yourself attractively, intellectually. But I think actually, even before you get in there, make sure you get the timing right. Do you know the person you're asking for the pay rise? Are, are they your direct manager? You would not believe the number of people who sort of try to catch people as they're going out for a sandwich or, you know, <laughs> on the way to the loo. And, and, and it's just like, no, don't. So exactly, make the appointment and go in there with like a one-pager, with data, with facts, you know, you can even make bullet points because what you want to do is present to that person your case and that person's got to present your case to the next person. Mm -hmm. So you make it as easy as possible for them. Mm. Okay, folks, we've got seven minutes left. Do we have some more questions, please? I think there was another hand up over there. Was. Um, over, over there. Oh, there's one over here. Excellent. Okay, let's pass the microphone down. Um, oh, we've got one on the front row as well. Fantastic. So... Okay, well, again, we'll, we'll take both of the questions so that the panel have got a little bit of time to think. Go ahead. So, slightly different to pay rise, but bonus. Bonus. Bonus, Ooh. but bonus in a world where it's not commission-based, so it comes from a pot. It's discretionary. It's discretionary. Yeah. So, for some people, it might feel like it's plucked out of thin air. Mm -hmm. um, you might go in with a list, as you say to say this is what I've done, but the bonus pot as a company is decreasing given what's going on in the market. Yeah, less M&A. Any yeah. tips for fighting for your own share? Okay, well, I mean, I would imagine the bonus question if you work in finance and you're lucky <laughs> enough to have the chance of, of, of getting <laughs> yes. an annual bonus every year. I mean, I don't work in, in, in banking, but um, one of our columnists, James Max, who used to work in investment banking, I can remember him saying to me, you start negotiating... Um, for next year's bonus, basically on the day um, that the bonus for that year is paid. It's a very, very big process within banks, within organisations. Jonathan, what, what, what tips would, would you give, particularly one, what looks like to be a leaner year financially for, for bonuses? Uh, it's not something I'm particularly familiar with, actually, recently. I um, understand what the measures are for how they're going to award that and who's involved. Because they're normally a percentages yes. of weightings of bonus, even if they're discretionary, I mean, based on like you know your performance, your department's performance, and even if you're not scoring on the revenues hit with deals uh, kind of kind of bit, then like you know your skills as a person, what you're bringing to the team, what else you're and doing. The, and the, the issue with those schemes is it's you can game the schemes. So make, as long as you understand the rules, it's like rankings of, of business schools you know we know what the rules are and uh, thanks to the ft so if you wanted to raise or go up and down in those rankings you can do that so i think the same here do i understand the rules and if it's worth a lot of money it's probably worth you know angling what you do to to, to play those rules you might not agree with the rules but it's like tennis those are the rules mm. okay um is about anything to add on bonuses or should we no, i don't know much about bonuses but i do know about bias and ah. I would be, you know, I would make sure that it, there's not an element of manager, you know, does the manager like somebody more? Uh. That's a huge issue with bonuses. And I think mm. that is, in the coming years, I think that's going to be 
um, addressed much more directly because women and people from minority backgrounds and disadvantaged backgrounds, people who are not like the boss, <clears throat> have traditionally lost out in the bonus pot mm. where it's discretionary. I think that is going to be really challenged. So if you're in a position to challenge it internally, do. Yep. Mm, and, you know, lucky to be in a job where, where you have got a bonus. Um, we had another hand at the front yeah. from the gentleman in the, in the white shirt. If we could have a, have a microphone up here. Any other questions? Okay, all right, we've got two at the back. Right, okay, we're going to get through these. Tell us your question, please. Yeah, you talked a lot about, I think, what's lower down on the, on the, on the ladder. How about if you're at the, near the top of the ladder? Is it, do you have any specific advice for somebody who's lucky enough to be there? Okay, so somebody who's at the top of their career looking for a big rise, um, what would your advice be to them? And we'll just quickly take the question. There's one from the gentleman also in a white shirt. Um, there we go. And there's somebody white behind you. Thing. Yeah. Pay rises. Would there be an effect to some people who are working in the office and some people who are more working from home? Oh. Can you see that being an impact that um, okay. there'd be a bias towards? Right, that's a good question. Then our final question from, from, from the back, just to give you a little bit of time to <laughs> think about you. your responses. Um, from a pay rise point of view, is there value in moving jobs more frequently? Or oh. would employers rather yeah. see that you've been at a job for longer and therefore have dedicated more mm. of your time to a company and you're more likely to get a pay rise? I don't know, from a CV point of view, which looks more... Uh, okay, well, let, let's start with that one. Oh, yeah. Will you be discriminated against for being what is known in HR terms as a job hopper? Jonathan? <laughs> uh, less so than it used to be, I would say. I mean, I think less than a year is problematic. But as long as you can explain everything and why you moved from one role to another... It's fine. We don't expect people to have done seven years in one job. When we, um, oh gosh, uh, 10, 12 years ago, I surveyed about 50,000 Oxford alumni and found that they'd had three different employers in the first 10 years. And that was 15 years ago. So now I suspect it's four or five. So I suspect people are flipping on average every couple of years. They do slow down, by the way. It was three in the first 10 years, four in the whole 20 years. Okay, job hopping, Isabel? Yeah, job hopping, I think, uh, as the workforce changes, as Gen Z come into the workforce, they do not hang around if they're unhappy. They will just walk. Mm. I think that's a good thing, but I think it will fundamentally change how we view CVs and our careers. Okay. Now, the second question that we had about will there be a pay discrepancy between people who are in the office more, people who are working remotely um, or, or at home more, what do you think um, about this? Now, Isabel, this is bread and butter to you <laughs> on the working it is. So It's one of the so, most hotly contested issues. It is. And um, sadly, <clears throat> proximity bias is real. It is hardwired into us. Yep. We trust the person who's in front of us. It's about the trust that goes back to when we were living in small hunter-gathering communities. So I'm afraid, the way, unless you work for a very progressive organisation with very benchmarked career progression... Uh, I would suggest if you're after a, bon a bonus or a pay rise, showing up sometimes. And that's a hard <laughs> thing to say because I know a lot of people are not into the office. But unless you've got a boss who is aware of proximity bias and has overcome it, I, I think it's very prevalent. Mm. And it's not just the boss. It's FaceTime with others, building up relationships with, with colleagues that are going to serve you well when yeah. you've left that company and, and, and work somewhere else. This mm. is also something that's of value. It's getting the project and it's 
being seen to take on things and being around to spot the corridor chat of, oh, I could do that. Yes, you know, hearing what's going on. Yeah, Yeah. I'm the gossip queen at the FC. Well, well, Isabel is really, but, you know, when we we get in the canteen uh, and get onto something, you don't want to be there. So we've got one final question. (laughs) Oh, we didn't do the bonus at the top. Oh, right, okay, we'll come to bonus at the top. There's another one at the back um, who's been waving madly. Go ahead. Um, When I heard about the drop hopping, I was thinking... What do you do if you've been incredibly loyal? I've been Ooh. at a uh, place for 17 years, and I feel everybody just takes me for granted. Okay, well, you, you've <laughs> so, done 17 years. I've done 15 years at the yeah, FT. So what do you Disgustingly do loyal. You've been at Oxford 15. for a while. Yeah. I've been at the FT for 22 years. Okay, so, so we're perhaps a biased panel to talk about loyalty, but I think if you're in a workplace where you're continually being challenged and you know and doing different things and you're, yeah. you're 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 not feeling that you're getting rusty or stagnant in any way well you'll have had different roles and you'll have been promoted internally at some point and that's always a great sign remember employers being risk averse if we see that somebody else promoted you i feel better now that this sounds like we're You've on earned your stripes at, so, that, at that company. So you can spin it that way too. Okay, and then finally, oh, yes. our man in the front row. So if you're somebody who's a big cheese looking to become an even grander fromage, your, your, your final points. Uh, um, this is about, probably about promoting yourself on a broader scale. And you might want to think, I can go for the bonus here, but why don't I add on other jobs around it? Why don't I... I the portfolio career. Yeah, the portfolio career. Okay. I've got a core, but I can add on these things, such as being at the FT. Yes, um, you know, doing, doing a guest column or um, like I would say, you know, public speaking. Um, that's yeah. something that a lot of journalists work, yeah. um, do, but also speaking at the FT Live organised festival. You know, if you're the kind of person in your organisation who would speak um, at a business-to-business conference, uh, something that will really boost your profile within your industry and externally, Presumably, that's something that firms yeah. really value. Isabel, any, any thoughts yeah. for our, for if our you're at, If you're at the top already, you can afford a specialist and very high-end compensation coach, and they will help you. And you might also, if you're thinking, if you're really at the top, you might also be thinking about what is it beyond pay that I'm looking for? You know, the purpose part. Yeah. The, you know, get them to send you on one of these courses I'm going to talk about in an hour about modern elders, you know, about reinventing yourself for the mm. last third of your life. Getting them to to pay for some good stuff. Okay. All right. Well, look, I'm going to have to bring it to a close, folks. It's been wonderful hearing all of your questions. We wish you every success with applying for your next pay rise. Do keep in touch with us and let us know how you got on. You can listen to this as a Money Clinic podcast episode. It's also going out on Working It, which is Isabel's podcast. And dear Jonathan, Jonathan's column, it's online, on his LinkedIn, um, in the paper, every other Monday. But thank you very much to everyone for coming and to our lovely panel. Many thanks to Isabel Berwick and Jonathan Black. We do hope you found the discussion useful. If you did, please leave us a review and let us know how you get on with asking for a pay rise. It's a tough nut to crack. We're always open to your ideas on Money Clinic. And if you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast, you can get in touch with us. Our email address is money at ft.com. And of course, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Find out more about Flick, the FT's financial literacy charity at www.ftflick.com. And this week's episode of Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, was produced by the phenomenal Philippa Goodrich. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragossa and sound design was by Breen Turner with original music from Metaphor Music. And Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. 
See you back here next week. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.